0: So tonight I am starting a teaching series entitled Foundation Stones of Intercession. Uh, This will be a 15 to 20 teaching series. I will not be teaching every week for 20 weeks, um, but I will most likely be teaching every other week Uh, and I will be going through uh, these 15 to 20 sessions. So, 10 years ago, when I was in Bible college, um, I remember pacing around in the prayer room in Kansas City, and I remember hearing this phrase in my mind, foundation stones of intercession. And I couldn't shake it. I just kept hearing that phrase, foundation stones of intercession. I knew that I was personally called as an intercessor. I knew that intercession was a gift that God had given me. And I felt like I would be at some point teaching on the topic in depth, um, so I I wrote it down. And as the weeks unfolded, I started a document on my computer, and I kept adding categories and sessions, like uh, you know teaching titles. I kept adding them on my computer, um, and ultimately, the vision for what I'm teaching now was birthed 10 years ago Um, I never felt uh, I never felt like the timing was right for me to start studying and and writing the notes for this Um, but now uh, right around the beginning of the year um, I felt like it was time so within this larger teaching series of foundation stones of intercession there's three parts and each part will contain five or more teachings. So part one is building the prayer movement by establishing a biblical understanding of night and day prayer. Part two, fueling the prayer movement by exploring how the knowledge of God fuels the deepest levels of intimacy, faith, and intercession. And part three, sustaining the prayer movement by building the foundation for a life of worship and intercession. So that is broadly what I am shooting for. Um, so this has been in my heart for a long time. And I'm just going to open in prayer. Lord, we thank you, Father, for you. Lord, opening the door, God, for humanity to worship you perpetually. Lord, to carve out space and time. Lord, to, to dedicate Lord, locations, God, to worship and prayer. Lord, we pray that our part in Evansville, God, that you would cause us to be fruitful. Lord, cause us to to say yes, God, to the DNA of the house of prayer. Lord, yes to the long-term vision. In Jesus' name. So tonight is session one, entitled The Tabernacle of David the origins of the house of prayer in the Old Testament. So the house of prayer, is it a new phenomenon or is it ancient wisdom? So this is obviously a a, a key question that, you know, individuals or pastors may ask. Is the house of prayer, is this this a a legitimate ministry? Is it it just a phenomenon of, of is this just a... um, uh, you know, a flavor of Christianity, just a an optional style of, of gathering. Uh, and, and, and I think every generation goes through this reality. Obviously, every generation, the expression's going to be different, but every generation is faced with this, these options of how to pursue fleshing out um, what Christianity can or should look like. So you have... You know, liturgical versus spontaneous, indoor versus outdoor. Some people get super excited if any meeting is outdoors and they don't really care about showing up if it's indoors, right? I mean, there's these realities of or mega church versus house church, pastor led versus board led, uh, seeker friendly versus expository focused. And the comparisons could keep going. So the question is, is House of Prayer just another option of how to gather as believers? Um, I think to answer this question, we have to answer another question. Is, is the House of Prayer concept, is it new? And if it's not new, where does it come from? So for, for those that um, aren't familiar with the the biblical foundation of the house of prayer, you could easily say, well, I think it is new, right? I, I think the idea that people would gather um, outside of a traditional church context to worship and pray, that, that seems new. But in fact, it's it's not. So the tabernacle of Moses, the house of prayer, is not a new phenomenon. The foundational pursuit of perpetual worship is ancient. So, for a second, I'm going to talk about the Tabernacle of Moses, and then I'm going to talk about the Tabernacle of David. And we're going to park in a singular chapter um, where David is giving an exhortation related to the Tabernacle of David. And we're going to go phrase by phrase in order to catch the heart that David has. um, when, when he's bringing forth the vision for the house of prayer and also the DNA that he is releasing into the tabernacle of David. So that's where we're going. So, first, we're going to talk briefly about the tabernacle of Moses. So, roughly a thousand years before David, the tabernacle of Moses was erected to house the Ark of the Covenant in the wilderness after the exodus from Egypt. So one, one key thing to recognize is the contents of the tabernacle of Moses was not visible to the broader people of Israel, nor could they enter the tabernacle of Moses. So the tabernacle of Moses was strictly for the Levites to perform sacrifices, morning and evening, burn incense, you know, uh, to a, to make intercession, to make it for atonement for for Israel's sins. So it was not a corporate place for anybody in Israel to come and gather and seek the presence of the Lord. So Numbers 1, 51, it says, So when the tabernacle is, is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. When the tabernacle encamps, the Levites shall set it up. But the layman who comes near shall be put to death. So this was the standard for the tabernacle of Moses. The layman that comes near shall be put to death. In Numbers one fifty-three, a couple of verses later, it says, But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of the testimony, so that there will be no wrath on the congregation of the sons of Israel. So the Levites shall keep charge of the tabernacle of the testimony. So uh, when Israel was in the wilderness, the Levites were literally pitching their tents around the tabernacle in such a way that all of the other tribes were physically far away from the tabernacle. They were not supposed to uh, approach the tabernacle. Uh, What's interesting is that Joshua uh, was not a Levite, so he was of the tribe of Ephraim, and was Moses' servant slash apprentice. So in Exodus 33, 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. So here we have Joshua. He was not a Levite, and yet he was entering into the tent to seek the presence of the Lord, and he was not obviously put to death or kicked out. So Joshua was Moses' apprentice of the tribe of Ephraim, and presumably because um, of his connection to Moses, um, that is why uh, he was allowed to be present. But the general rule was no one can enter who is not a Levite. So Numbers 27, 18 twenty-seven, eighteen. So the Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. So the Lord had appointed Joshua to replace Moses, and therefore was allowing him to come close to to the Lord's presence within the tabernacle. So the tabernacle of Moses was a foreshadowing of what was to come a thousand years later, with perpetual worship and prayer before the ark of God's presence. In the tabernacle of Moses, it was, the fire on the, it was the fire of the altar of sacrifice that was not to go out. So we're all familiar with, the, with, with the, the verse, Leviticus 6, 12 through 13. We see this posted on the walls of many, if not all, houses of prayer. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The question is, what was that fire? It was the fire of the altar of sacrifice. Obviously, it symbolized... The, the, see, the, the seeking of the Lord, it symbolizes the Lord's presence. But physically, it was the fire of the altar. So, but the priest shall, shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall lay out the burnt offering on it. Offer up in smoke the fat portions of the peace offering on it. The fire shall be kept burning continually on the altar. It shall not go out. So again, this was the fire of the altar where the where the physical uh, the physical sacrifices were were taking place. So the tabernacle of David, the true DNA of the house of prayer was birthed in David's heart even though the essence of perpetual worship was present in Moses' day. So when Moses had These physical sacrifices happening morning and evening, when Moses had this fire burning on the altar and not going out, when Moses, uh, you know, commanded that the Levites take care of this perpetual service, but no one else can come near, this was the beginning, the foundation of, of the, what would become the tabernacle of David, but it was in its very It was in a state of infancy, so there was definitely a difference with what David brought to the table when he established the tabernacle of David. So it's believed that David was 13 years old when it was said of him that he was a man after God's own heart. That's crazy, right? 13 years old. So he, at age of 13, had a history of being out tending the sheep worshipping the lord by himself with stringed instruments so his heart of worship was already established and mature enough for the lord to see it and recognize it and say that moses or that david was a man after the lord's own heart it just goes to show you that the heart of a child before the lord matters the development of their heart of worship and prayer and their heart matters. God can and does mark people at a young age for prayer and worship. So the heart of worship, this heart of worship was exactly what God was looking for when God was displeased with King Saul and vowed to replace him. So, and that's 1 Samuel 13:14. In Acts 13:22, it says, after he had removed him. After the Lord had removed King Saul, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. So the Lord made this proclamation about David at the age of 13. David did not become king until he was 30. So he had already attempted to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim and failed when God killed Uzziah as he attempted to stabilize the ark when it was being transported by a cart. We're all probably familiar with that uh, that story. The ark remained at Obed-Edom until David set up a tent in Jerusalem and mustered the courage to bring it all the way back to Jerusalem where he appointed Levites to perpetually worship and pray before the Ark of the Covenant. So another thing to note here is that the sacrifices were still happening in the tabernacle of Moses in Gibeon. So David establishing the tabernacle of David was not a replacement of the tabernacle of Moses. The morning and evening sacrifices were still taking place in Gibeon. So 1 Chronicles 15 1. Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So first David built houses for himself in the city of David, and then he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. So that's first Chronicles 15. 1 Chronicles 15 is the story of the Ark of God being brought back uh, to Jerusalem from David, if you want to read that. We are going to focus on 1 Chronicles 16. And 1 Chronicles 16, in essence, it is David's vision and charge for establishing the DNA of the tabernacle of David. So this is really important. Because this is where David is charging the Levites and the priests concerning what he wants to see that the Lord, you know, through him, what what the Lord wants to see established through the tabernacle of David. So this is peering into the heart of David. So this is important because here God said over David at the age 13, you are a man after my own heart then God sovereignly chooses David to replace Saul because God knew that David would obey him with his whole heart. And part of what the Lord wanted was to have this tabernacle of David raised up through David's life. So this next chapter is the most thorough look into David's heart and what David wanted to see. This is his vision statement for the tabernacle of David. This is his statement of DNA of what he wanted to see uh, released. So 1 Chronicles 16, 1 through 43. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to go through largely phrase by phrase, and we're going to look at some of these elements. So 1 Chronicles 16, 1, they brought in the ark of God... "...placed it inside the tent which David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before God. When David had finished offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. He distributed to everyone of Israel, both man and woman, to everyone a loaf of bread and a portion of meat and a raising cake. He appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of the Lord, even to celebrate and to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph, the chief, and second to him, Zechariah, then uh, Jael, I don't know. uh, These various individuals of whom I am not going to attempt to pronounce all of their names. uh, With musical instruments, harps, lyres. Also, Asaph played a loud sounding cymbals and Benaiah and Jehaziel, the priest, blew trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. Then on that day, David first assigned Asaph and his relatives to give thanks to the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Speak of all his wonders, glory in his holy name. The heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. Remember his wonderful deeds, which he has done, his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. O seed of Israel, his servants, sons of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Remember his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, the covenant which he made to Abraham and his oath to Isaac. He also confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give you the land of Canaan as the portion of your inheritance. When they were only few in number, very few and strangers in it. And they wandered about from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. He permitted no man to oppress them. He reproved kings for their sake, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones. Do my prophets no harm. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations. His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. Great is the Lord greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are in His place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in holy array. "'Tremble before Him all the earth. "'Indeed, the world is is firmly established. "'It will not be moved. "'Let the heavens be glad. "'Let the earth rejoice. "'Let them say among the nations, "'The Lord reigns. "'Let the sea roar and all it contains. "'Let the field exult and all that is in it. "'Then the trees of the forest "'will sing for joy before the Lord, "'for He is coming to judge the earth. "'Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good.' For his loving kindness is everlasting. Then say, Save us, O God of our salvation. Gather us and deliver us from the nations to give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Then all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. So he left Asaph and his relatives there before the Ark of the Covenant, of the Lord to minister before the ark continually as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom with his 68 relatives, Obed-Edom, also uh, the son of Jeduthun and Hosea as gatekeepers, he left Zadok, the priest, and his relatives, the priests, before the tabernacle of the Lord in the high place, which was at Gibeon. To offer burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of burnt offerings continually, morning and evening, even according to all that is written in the law of the Lord, which he commanded to Israel. With them were Heman and Jeduthun and the rest of those who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord because his loving kindness is everlasting. With them were Heman and Jeduthun with trumpets and cymbals for those who should sound aloud and with instruments for the songs of God and the sons of Jeduthon for the gate. Then all the people departed, each to his house, and David returned to bless his household. That's quite the chapter. There are a lot of uh, hints and insights into the heart of David. Right? I mean, did, did, did you did you catch a sense for David? I mean, this is in essence, a speech. This is one heck of a speech. I mean, this is really David from the, from his, the, the fullness of, of his heart and vision for the tabernacle of David. He is just releasing this to the people. So at the heart of the tabernacle of David was the addition of perpetual live worship and prayer before God's presence. So we're going to look at a lot of these phrases. And one thing I want to note here is this is not comprehensive in establishing the DNA of a house of prayer. So there are many, many other passages in the Old Testament that add to and expound upon what we would consider the DNA of the house of prayer or key elements of what the house of prayer is about. So this is not... um, This is not comprehensive, but what it is, is insight into David's heart and vision for the tabernacle of of David. So he appointed, so verse 4, he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord. So we already had, again, um, if, if if you read through that passage again at the very end, um, he is lifting, uh, listing off priests that were um, dedicated to the Tabernacle of Moses, like they were continually charged to do the sacrifices at the Tabernacle of Moses. But here we have him appointing some of the Levites as ministers before the Ark of the Lord. And this was different because there were not physical sacrifices happening. In the tabernacle of David. So here we see God through David appointing individuals to minister before God in his presence. So this establishes the foundation that the house of prayer, the house of prayer DNA, is ministering to God himself. So again, we have people being appointed to minister before the ark, so before the presence of God. So this was not people being called to do street ministry or do some other thing. This is the Lord definitively appointing individuals to minister to the Lord Himself before the ark. So as much as we should desire God's presence, He desires our presence before Him. Right? So we as believers, we should desire the presence of God. What this verse reveals... Is The flip side of that, God desired the presence of individuals to stand before his ark and to minister to him. So we should desire God. This is God desiring us. So this is not just a few radical people running into a building saying, God, we want you. We want you. You're worthy. This is the precedence is God is saying, no, I want you. I want you to come before me. Obviously, it should be mutual, but this is the Lord. This is the heart of the Lord is to call individuals to stand before him. So some are indeed called to minister before God as their primary life purpose and focus. So also in verse four. There's this phrase, celebrate. So these individuals, these Levites, they are called to celebrate and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. So these that are consecrated and set apart Levites, they were commanded to celebrate, thank, and praise the Lord. So God is worthy of perpetual celebration Thankfulness and praise. Right? So, I mean, it, like, this is the phrase that David chose to release to the Levites that have already been chosen by name to minister before the Lord. This is what David releases this command celebrate, thank, and praise the Lord. Like, it, it, let, let, let's, I mean, as simple as these. Phrases are the power, and uh, it, it is in dialing down, going a little bit slower, and letting each of these phrases, even, even though to your natural mind you're like, Well, of course, well, set aside the of course, and let's feel the impact of the Lord charging the people to celebrate, thank, and praise Him as a primary part of the DNA of of the heart posture of the people as they approach the Lord's presence. So verse six, it says, the the priests blew trumpets continually before the Ark of the Covenant of God. I mean, I'm assuming all of us have know on some level that trumpets are involved in the Bible. Old Testament, you know, something about the last trumpet, you know, in the New Testament. But here we have this reality where the priests were blowing trumpets continually before the ark of God. Can, can you imagine that? I mean, I mean like, uh, if, if you weren't one of the Levites, right, your, your tent would be a little bit farther away, but you'd be hearing this, the ringing of trumpets continually. Just the proclamation of trumpet, trumpet, trumpet. I mean, you would know there's really a crisis if the trumpets stopped. Right? Because there's this charge of blow the trumpets continually. And then verse 8, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds. So again, there's this call to be thankful. And now we see this added reality of calling upon his name. So invoking the name in the presence of the Lord, that this was also at the heart of the charge for the Levites who stand before the ark of the Lord to call upon the name of the Lord and to make known his deeds. So the the, the 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 Levites who are ministering before the Lord they are to call upon him and to make known his deeds. You you can't make something known that you don't know yourself. Right? So they have to under they have to be they have to be washing themselves in the testimonies of God, washing themselves in in the history of who God is, what he has done. So that they can make his deeds known. So that they, so it, it just, it's the natural overflow off their tongue is perpetual praise and the testimonies of the Lord. Like that is what is supposed to be bubbling out of the heart and the mouth of, of the Levites. It should be 100% natural and normal for them any day of the week for the testimonies of the Lord to come out of their mouth. And for the the thankfulness and the praise of the Lord to be upon their lips. So verse 9, sing to him. God's house was not supposed to just contain the sounds of animal sacrifice as acts of worship and atonement. God wanted trumpets, thanksgiving, loud shouts of praise and singing. So think about this for a second. We had the tabernacle of Moses. That was physical sacrifice. So that's that's animals being slaughtered. That's a whole host of sounds and smells, right? <laughs> Related to the physical sacrifice of animals. This is different. This is a different expression of worship with this charge sing to the Lord. Open your mouth and let the praises of the Lord be upon your lips sing to the Lord and verse also in verse 9 speak of all his wonders god wants his nature and his acts to be spoken of shared and remembered before his presence so so let's not forget that here the levites are ministering before the lord God knows his own resume. God knows what he's done. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's going to do. But here, God wanted the Levites who were already before his presence to be speaking of his wonders. Think about that for a second. He's not explicitly saying, go to another nation and declare the wonders of God. I mean, there's, you know, there's obviously verses about, about that. But, but here, the charge is not to leave my presence and declare the wonders of God. The charge is, you who are standing before my presence, speak of my wonders. The Lord wants to hear us Testify to his greatness. Remember and speak of the things that God has done, is doing, and will do. So verse 10, glory in his holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. God's holy name is to bring forth boastful praise from our lips. That's what glory it means. To glory in his name is boastful praise. So we are called to seek the Lord and also to be glad. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. The Lord likes happiness. I mean, he he likes the, the joy that comes from him to be in us. He wants us to be glad in his presence. So verse 11, seek the Lord and his strength. You ever heard the phrase seek God's face and not his hand? Do you think that's biblical? I mean, we can we, we kind of know the heart behind it, right? Of like don't be crass, don't be like don't don't just run over God. In, in pursuit of his power and forget that he has a heart that you're supposed to seek and, re, and, have, and, re, and have reverence for. So we, we kind of get the heart posture of why people say that, but it's not really fully true. Here we see David commanding the Levites to seek both the Lord and his strength or his might. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek the Lord and His might. So it's fitting for God's people to seek God and His mighty acts. Here, the word seek means to seek with care and inquire about and desire. So seek the Lord and His strength. We are seeking Him with care. We're inquiring about and we are desiring the Lord and His strength. We are to desire the Lord and His strength. Verse 11, this is the same verse. It says, seek His face continually. The interesting thing here is that the word seek is different in the Hebrew. Different word seek. So, we're to seek the Lord and His strength, and then we're to seek His face continually. So, the Hebrew word for seek here is different. Here we see seek as discover and find. The word continually speaks of the reality of unceasing but also lasting. So, let me publicly declare I am not a Hebrew or Greek scholar. I did go through four years of Bible college, but I did not take any classes in Greek or Hebrew. So anything I say related to Greek or Hebrew, there's uh, always room for error. But, so I say this lightly, but perhaps this verse is speaking of those who are discovering the presence of God in a continual and lasting way. Food for thought. So it says, seek his face continually. In other words, discover his presence. Discover his presence over the course of time. So in verse 12, remember his wonderful deeds. So part of the DNA of what David was wanting in his tabernacle was the perpetual remembrance and acknowledgement of God's wonderful deeds. So again, this is David's exhortation to the people that were going to give their days, their nights, their lives to the ministry of ministering before the ark. And this is what David charges them to do. Remember the Lord's wonderful deeds. And continuing in verse 12, he says, Remember his marvels and the judgments from his mouth. And to remember means to mention. So again, the Lord is wanting it to be upon our lips and not just cognitively in our mind. It's not just in our memory bank of we, we have awareness of what God has done. But we are to mention the Lord's wonderful deeds, His marvels, and His judgments. We are to recall to mind and mention the miraculous marvels of the Lord and His judgments. So verse 13, there's this phrase, his chosen ones. When I saw this phrase, I see a call to be rooted in identity. So we're catching a glimpse of the heart of God for the DNA of the house of prayer, right? The pursuit of perpetual worship and prayer before the Lord. And at the heart of this exhortation is this phrase, his chosen ones. So David was wanting to know, David was wanting the Levites to know and recognize that the Levites who were chosen by name to minister before the, Lord, before the ark of the Lord, David wanted them to know that they are God's chosen ones. So there's this impartation, this declaration of identity. We are to know God, His deeds, His judgments, and also we are to know that we are in Him and before Him. Then verse 15, remember His covenant. So the tabernacle of David was not intended to be a one-generation expression of worship. It was to be perpetual worship and prayer that was tied into the reality of God fulfilling His covenant with Israel. So think about that for a second. What was in David's heart for the tabernacle, it was not a one-generation expression. David was not hoping to go out with a bang. He wasn't just hoping to have the longest prayer meeting on the face of the earth, to be in the Guinness Book of World Records or the Genesis Book of World Records, right, of, uh, of the... Uh, the the, the longest perpetual worship meeting. David was laying the foundation for a multi-generational expression, a new expression of worship and prayer before the manifest presence of God. So remember the covenant. And then verse 16, the covenant which he made with Abraham and his oath to Isaac, he also confirmed it to Jacob. So God, his covenants, his acts, his judgments, his mercies, they are all multi-generational. God chooses to slow down and involve multiple generations in what he wants to bring about. Do y'all catch that? I really believe that, that this is the heart of the Lord. David is saying this covenant, remember the covenant, and this covenant took generations to work out. So God chooses to slow down and involve multiple generations in what he wants to bring about. And we will see more of that uh, at the end of the message. So verse 23, Proclaim good tidings, Of his salvation from day to day. So we are to herald the positive message of God's acts of salvation from sunset to sunset. So that's kind of my rendition of of the, the Hebrew there. We are to proclaim or herald the positive message, the good tidings of God's acts of salvation from sunset to sunset. So this is, again, a charge to the Levites to always, from, from sunset to sunset, morning to evening, day to day, to be positively declaring the Lord's acts of salvation. And then verse 24, tell of his glory among the nations. This word tell, it means to, we are to make a written record and announce God's abundance and reputation among the heathen nations. Tell of His glory among the nations. That's what that verse means. To make a written record and announce God's abundance and His reputation among the heathen nations. So here, obviously, this verse is talking about this external declaration Not just inside the house of the Lord, but to the heathen nations to declare the abundance and the reputation, the positive reputation of God. Verse 25, it says, Greatly to be praised, he is also to be feared. I love the balance here, right? I mean, this is so brilliant. I mean, we just have to go back. Right? The church just has to slow down and look, peer into the Old Testament, find these nuggets that are, that are scattered throughout the whole of the Old Testament, find these nuggets and understand, to understand who God is and how He is to be approached. Greatly to be praised, He is also to be feared. So on the one hand, we have uncapped praise. And on the other hand, we have the fear of the Lord. Both are needed in the hearts of those who seek Him. Greatly to be praised, He is also to be feared. Same phrase. How often in our generation do we hear those in the same phrase? So verse 29, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. So there's a charge to exalt the Lord to his rightful place in our hearts and in our assembling together. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. So this is this charge to say that God actually deserves something specific. There's glory that's due him. So this is not just an arbitrary service. This isn't just you getting a job to stand before the Lord like, you know, your, your name was picked, this is this job for the rest of your life. There's this charge that God is actually worthy of this ministry, and there's a very specific way in which you're supposed to approach Him. Verse 29 continues on and says, Worship the Lord in holy array. So worship of the Lord is to be done with holiness of heart. So the, the, the same thrust here. That God is worthy of not just perpetual worship, but he's worthy of it done with holiness of heart. And then verse 30, tremble before the Lord. Again, we see a precedence for the fear of the Lord being required of God for those who desire to minister before him. And the Hebrew for tremble is actually trembling. There's no mystery there. So, like we are to uh, tremble before the Lord. Verse 31: Let them say among the nations, The Lord reigns. So, if you read this verse, the context is that the heavens and the earth are the ones rejoicing and figuratively declaring God's greatness in the earth. But you could think of it this way: The heavens and the earth are forerunning the call for the Jews and Gentiles to join them in declaring among the nations that the Lord reigns. It is right for God's... So if it is right for God's inanimate objects of creation to speak of His greatness, then how much more should His image bearers declare among the nations that the Lord reigns? Right? So let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let this be a, profet- a prophetic foreshadowing of the call of Gentiles and Jews to agree with the heavens and the earth, to agree with the, the, the proclamation of what God has made, that, God is, that, that the Lord reigns. We should be agreeing with creation in this sense of declaring among the nations that the Lord reigns. So verse 34 Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his loving kindness is everlasting. So we again see thanksgiving at the heart of the DNA of David's vision for the tabernacle. It is God's good character that is befitting of overflowing thanksgiving. So God's nature and character deserves an overflowing and thankful heart. When we come before him. And then verse 35 says, Save us, O God of our salvation. So here we see the cry of intercession. As part of the DNA of seeking the Lord's presence. Save us, O God of our salvation. Intercession is to be present and it's expected in God's holy place. And verse 37 so he left Asaph and his relatives there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark continually as every day's work required. Here we see a definitive vocational call for some people to minister before God continually. So, he, so David was not himself called to every day of the week, you know, stand uh, and minister before the Lord But here he left Asaph and his relatives to keep this perpetual service of worship and prayer before the ark. And then verse 41, it says, The rest who were chosen, who were designated by name to give thanks to the Lord. So the Lord handpicks those that he desires to minister before him. He calls them by name. God is not arbitrarily demanding worship with no regard to who is worshiping or how. God clearly has individuals in mind and standards of who can come before him and how we must approach him. Right? So the rest who were chosen, designated by name, to give thanks to the Lord. Like a, a, of, of all the things that we you know, if I were to go around the room and say, What are you called to? How many of you would how many of you of you would say, I have been called? By name, by the Lord, to give thanks to Him. That is the charge that the Lord has put upon me. I am to give thanks to the Lord. We don't think that way. We think of like this external thing that will develop a certain measure of what we call fruit that we want to see so we feel good about ourselves. But the Lord over and over again through this passage is commanding those who will stand before him understand their identity. They are called to give thanks. They are called to praise. They are called to declare the wonders of God. They are called to have the testimonies of the Lord on their lips continually. Then verse 42, it says, with trumpets and cymbals for those who should sound aloud? Have you ever heard that heaven's not a quiet place? All right, because of all the, the loud cymbals and the trumpets. Well, it's verses like this that lead people to say that. The Lord appreciates our best efforts of praise to Him with loud instruments. And In verse 42, for a continuation of verse 42, with instruments for the songs of God. Instruments were used for the purpose of singing the songs of God. So playing an instrument in the house of the Lord is not primarily about us uh, using our gifting in the sense of, you know, showing that we're good in one instrument or another. The foundational purpose of instruments is for the song of the Lord to go forth. All right, so I will end with uh, this this last section, the multi-generational plans of God for his house. So we just went through largely phrase by phrase through chapter 16 of 1 Chronicles. Now the next few verses of chapter 17. So we're just going to go right into chapter 17 and we're going to see what happens with David. So immediately following chapter 16, we see David at some future date, desiring a better house for the Ark of God. So 1 Chronicles 17.1, and it says, And it came about, doesn't say how many days, months, or years later, just says, And it came about, when David dwelt in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I am dwelling in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord is under curtains. So David understood, even after... Him imparting his heart and the DNA of perpetual worship and prayer to the Levites in the Tabernacle of David, he understood that the physical ark and this space that was created for perpetual worship and prayer, it was made up it was a tent, it was animal skins, it was it was not a the the physical you know splendor of his like his house. So it, it was a not as permanent of a, of a place. And here he, he understands the difference, and he's like, why am I dwelling in such an amazing house, and the ark of God is under curtains? So he says this to Nathan, the prophet. Nathan initially says, do whatever's in your heart, the Lord will bless it. But then the Lord tells Nathan, wait, wait, that's not my word back up, now go deliver to David the real word of the Lord. What what can we learn from that? Here we have a recognized prophet, and the first word out of his mouth was his flesh. It was not the word of the Lord. Sounded good, but it was his flesh. All right, that's a total bunny trail. (laughs) Just chew on that for a second. All right, so 1 Chronicles 17, 10 through 12. It says, even from the day, this is what God commanded Nathan the prophet to tell David, even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I tell you that the Lord will build a house for you. When your days are fulfilled, that you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up one of your descendants after you who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build for me a house, and I will establish his throne forever. So it's interesting. Here David is saying, God, I want to build you a better house. And then God flips it on him and says, no, 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 no. How about I build you a house? And if you think through this logically, David had already built a more magnificent house than what the ark had. So the Lord saying that God will build David a house was not speaking of a physical structure. It was talking about his posterity. So God, through the prophet Nathan, did not permit David to build a better house for the ark. Instead, God promised to build David a house and have David's son build him a better tabernacle. So God was giving David a much bigger blessing than saying yes to his request. Can we understand that? David was already declared. He like, he's a man after God's own heart. He's obeying God to the fullest. God chose to say no to David the, the pure desire of David's heart to build a better house for the ark, God said no to it. Was that nice or mean? Right. So, but let, let's let let's see why and how the Lord's going to unfold it. So God was blessing David's family line, so that David's descendants could participate. And receive the inheritance that God wanted for David. What is better, David getting freedom to accomplish all he wants for God, or God establishing David's family line in a way that allows David's children to participate in bringing to pass God's purposes? Like, like th- th- this. This is so foundational. That, like this is something that this generation needs to digest and redigest and digest again. Here we have, the Lord could have said, I will do whatever's in your heart. Let's translate that to today. A lot of young people have a passion and a heart for God. They would love for God to say, whatever you dream up tonight, Request it, and I'm going to do it. Down to a T. You want to be the next Charles Finney? You got it. You want to be the next billionaire that funds the prayer movement for the next you know, 30 years in 20 different countries? You got it. We think that the greatest thing that God could do for us is answer all of our prayers and the biggest imagination that we can possibly drum up because we're like well god's bigger than my imagination so let's get to work let's see all what my imagination can drum up and let's pray that the lord releases it we want more influence more anointing more power we want our city to be second to jerusalem in importance in god right i mean every city I think that's funny, by the way. Every city thinks that it's like the most important city. That's, a, that's another bunny trail. So God is indeed a multi-generational God that desires every generation to participate in his unfolding plans, purposes, and promises. The inheritance of God in the earth spans the generations, and our inheritance in God is too great For it to be established or prepared in a single generation. So God is multi-generational. We think the best thing God could do for us is make us awesome. I mean, like, if if we're honest, that like that—that's really what we believe. We want to be more awesome. We want everyone else to know that we're awesome. But here, God is strategic. God is multi-generational. The things that God wants to release are bigger than you. They're bigger than your greatness. They're bigger than what you can accomplish in 80 years. God is multi-generational, and the things that He unfolds, He takes His time and He unfolds them over generations. So God wants to bless us with multi-generational callings and plans that involve the next generation so they too can receive of God's abundance. His goodness is too great for it to fit in one generation's experience of God. So that is why God told David, no, you're not going to build for me a house. I'm too big For you to accomplish all that you want and to get all the credit in just this one generation. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to raise up your son. He's going to be a man of peace and not of war. And he's going to build me a house. God wanted the unfolding of his plans and purposes to take generations and we are the microwave generation, right? The instant messenger, the Twitter, like, come on, get back to me or else I'll think you're dead. I mean, how many times has Julian like, thought something devastating happened to me because I was somewhere that I didn't have cell service. She's like, I think, I, I, I think he died. So the Lord takes generations to unfold things. And this is critical to the house of prayer because, again, the house of prayer, the foundation of the house of prayer is we are not just wanting the house of prayer to be a single generation expression of worship before God. So when I'm talking about teaching this series on establishing the biblical understanding of night and day prayer, and, and, and fueling the prayer movement and uh, sustaining the prayer movement, it is unto how are we to understand what God is doing, how are we to participate, how are we to, to think and to act in a way that creates a multi-generational expression of worship and prayer before the Lord. Because God, God's plans for Evansville surpass the number of years you have left. Let me say it frankly. The Lord's plans for Evansville surpass the number of years left in you. So how can we build the house of prayer the way a multi-generational God builds the tabernacle or unfolds the covenant from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob over generations, reaffirming the covenant and releasing it to the next generation. How can we, as Evansville, how can we say yes to the DNA, the heart, the thrust of the house of prayer, how can we agree with it in a way that sets up the next generation to take the baton and run with it so that it can last more than 20, 30, 40 years? Amen leave it with that. So Lord, we just say, God, you are worthy of worship and prayer from this city and the cities and the nations of the earth. God, more than just 20 years. Lord, we thank you, God, for houses of prayer that have been going 24-7 for 15, 20 years. God, but this is, we're still one generation. God, we want the thrust of night and day prayer to last, God, beyond our generation. So God, would you give us your DNA, your heart, Lord, your anointing, God, to not create something for us, but to create something for you, Lord, that you can be praised and worshiped from this city and the cities of the earth, God, in future generations. In Jesus' name, amen.